0: We finished the last couple of weeks our study in 1 Corinthians, and now we begin the next letter that Paul has written to this church in Corinth. Now Corinth was a Greek town. The, the people who were there were very different than what you'd find in Jerusalem. They come from a very, very pagan background, a number of temples, and a, a number of different things going on. And so as, as you study when you study to prepare for a book, you read a number of different commentaries. And one of the things that you find when you study the book of Corinthians is that if you pick up a commentary that's, say, you know 50 years old, something like that, or older, when it talks about the Corinthians, it'll talk about the drunkenness, the debauchery, the immorality, and uh, things of that nature, as so though that was something very distant and far removed. If you pick up a commentary that say within the uh, 30 years ago, about 20, 30 years ago, one of the things that they will all say almost universally is that it shouldn't be called 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it should be called 1st and 2nd Californians, and because that's sort of the, the idea. And because of what's going on. But now if you pick up a commentary, say written in the last 10 or 15 years, one of the things that each commentary will say is that the United States of America is a picture or a reflection of what you see in 1 Corinthians. and So we're going to certainly see that as we, as we travel through. The, again, the, the Corinthians came from a pre, pre, predominantly pagan background, and uh, most of them were first-generation believers, as the church started. And so when they came out of their pagan temples, in the pagan temples, they, they were all focused on on one thing. And I'm going to read this from a commentary. And the reason I want to read it from a commentary is I want you to know that I didn't make this up. So when it talks about what the Corinthians were into, even as they, they became believers, as it talks about the pagan temples, it says this. This is just a paragraph or so. It says, there was little emphasis there was little emphasis on doctrine, which is teaching, or learning in the religions of Paul's day, and little mention of the afterlife. Salvation was defined primarily in terms of provision and protection for the present. The motivation for participating in an organized religion was the promise that it held for health, wealth, and social standing. In turn, the value of religion was measured by the amount of power displayed by the deity as seen through the consequent consequent cultural, physical, and economic power of its followers. The idea is that the success of its members was the primary concern. As a group, first century worshipers, regardless of their religious affiliation, wanted health, wealth, protection, and sustenance, not moral transformation." And so that's what the Corinthians had come out of. Wouldn't you agree that some of what we just talked about sounds much like the church today? And so they came into the church, and what was taking place is the teachings from the local temples were finding their way into the church. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians is highly corrective. Paul's writing against some of the things that they had begun to embrace. And so those beliefs, again, were creeping into the church. And so Paul. finds out that after he writes 1 Corinthians that not everybody accepts his letter. So about a year later he writes back to this church and he finds that uh, many people within this church of Corinth, had some had repented from the things that they were teaching and others just began to accuse Paul. So in 2 Corinthians Paul is going to be, for a large part, defending his ministry. So we're going to notice some things. They're going to question his apostleship. I'm going to put a few verses up very quickly. And so Paul will say, Paul will say, for we are not like many, peddling the word of God. So Paul says, when we came there, we we weren't trying to make a buck from you doing it. We were really giving you the word of God, as opposed to what some of the teachers were doing there in the church. The next verse he says, he says, for we were not like, the next verse not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. And what we're going to find there is that what they were doing in Corinth is they were bringing in some of the teachings from the other pagan temples, and they were bringing that into the church as though those were Christian teachings. And then we'll talk about that when we get there. And then later on, Paul, as they, they question Paul's motives, Paul says, five times I receive from the Jews, that would be the religious leadership, 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. And not the way you were when you were in college. Very, very different. <laughs> so, so Paul says, I really didn't have anything to gain. I haven't, I haven't really profited from this thing. I'm just telling you the truth. And so as Paul writes this letter, it's going to be the most personal letter that Paul writes as he pours out his heart to this church. One of the things that we're going to find throughout this letter is that Paul has been deeply hurt by the people that he's loved the most. Paul has poured out his life for this church and they've responded by accusations, questioning his apostleship, all all, all types of slander. And so when Paul writes this; he's going to be defending, but you're going to feel his pain as it comes out. You know, it's one thing to be hurt by people; and we're all going to be hurt by people. It's another thing to be hurt by somebody that you've literally laid down your life for, the people that you've been there the most, and and when when they hurt you, it's 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 a very very deep hurt. So you know, maybe, maybe uh, that person walks out of your life, or you're in and uh, you thought they were going to be there forever, or that person that you started a business with and you thought that they had the same type of ethics that you have. And all of a sudden one day you find that their ethics are very different and and it, and it hurts and it's painful and you're going through that. Well, we've all been there and we've all been through that. We've all been slandered. We've all been hurt in some way. And so we're all going to be able to identify with what Paul says in this letter. So Paul is going to talk today about suffering as a believer. And uh one of the things that we're going to find is that they want to talk about success, they want to talk about uh prosperity and things of that nature, but Paul says no, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some suffering and some affliction as we go. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1 and uh this is going to be kind of a fast-paced Bible study as we get into this verse 1. He says verses 1 and 2. He says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, which is the surrounding area of Corinth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting because we're going to find that Paul has been attacked by this church, slandered by this church, but he responds by saying, grace to you. One of the things that we will learn as we travel through this, when you operate in the Spirit, you never lash back even when you have the opportunity to do so. So we just noticed that. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Now does your Bible say mercies? Okay, you want to underline that. We'll come back to that. And then he says, and the God of all comfort. Most of your Bibles will have the word comfort. I want you to circle that word comfort. Now, what's interesting to me is that typically when Paul writes to a church, he says something like what he would write to the Philippians church. He would say this there in your outline. He'll say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's what he says to the Philippians. To this church, you notice in uh, verse three, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies. The idea is he doesn't say, I'm thankful to God in every remembrance of you. He says, you know, when I think of you, I, I thank God that he's the, the father of mercies because you, you really need mercy. And, uh, and so that'll be something that we'll notice as we travel through. So let me read verse 3 again, and then we're going to jump into verse 4. And verse 4 I put there in your outline, verses 4 through 6, and we're going to unpack it as we go. Verse 3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Now there on your outline I put verses 4 through 6, which is going to be the main part that we look at today. And as we travel through this, I want you to do two things. When you come to the word comfort, or comforted, or comforts, I want you to circle that. When you come to affliction or uh, sufferings, I want you to underline that. And we'll see why as we travel through. So there in your outline, we begin, he says, the God of uh, all mercies, who, who in verse three ends with by saying, the God of, of mercies, the God of all comfort. Then in verse four, he says, who comforts, and I've put a, a circle around that, comforts us in all our affliction, underline affliction, so that we will be able to comfort, and I've circled that, those who are in any affliction, I've underlined that, with the comfort, circled that, with which we ourselves are comforted, I've circled that, by God. For just as the sufferings, I've underlined that, of Christ are ours in abundance, everybody underline that word abundance, we'll come back to that, so also our comfort, circle that, is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, underline afflicted, it is for your comfort. Circle that. And it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, circle that, it is for your comfort, which is effective, and we'll come back to that word, in the patient enduring. I want you to underline the word patient enduring of the same sufferings, underline sufferings, which we also suffer. So again, this is a church that wants to talk a great deal about success, finances, winning, but Paul says before we talk about any of that, we need to talk about affliction and we need to talk about suffering. And I had you underline affliction and I had you circle the word comfort. And the reason for that is there's going to be this back and forth with that because apart from affliction, you never have need of comfort. And it's only if there's affliction or difficulty that you ever have a need of comfort. So Paul's going to put those two together. And then I wanted to just highlight real quick, you notice there in your outline, if you travel just a little bit further, I have the word affliction, and I have the definition for that. The the Greek word there is thalipsis. Does everybody see that? Thalipsis, which is a, a pressing pressing together or pressure. And then I want you to underline this last part. It says the distress of a woman in childbirth. Thalipsis is the term that's used of smashing a grape when you want to make wine, so the, if you've ever seen the the old movies where they the women get into the vat and they stomp on the grapes and the grapes you know they're smashed, that's the idea. When the Bible talks about the great tribulation, the word tribulation is ellipsis in the original language. And so when this talks about this this affliction, it's interesting to me. And I had you underline it in Thayer's dictionary. It says this. It says the distress of a woman in childbirth. And you underline that. Now, the reason I wanted you to underline this is because what this word conveys is is a distress that you just can't walk away from. 2,000 years ago, when a woman was ready to give birth and all of a sudden labor began, she couldn't just say, you know what? I don't want to do this. I'm just going to walk away from this. I'll deal with this another time. It was like, that baby is going to come out. There's nothing you can do. The only thing that you can really do is endure it. And you don't know if it's going to be a 20 minute labor or a 20 hour labor. And so it's just, all you can do is just go through it. That makes sense so far? And so this, that's why in verse six there on your outline, find verse six. And he says, he says, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings. The patient enduring of the same sufferings. And, And so what you're going to find is that God is going to allow you as a believer at some point in your walk with the Lord to be in a situation that's going to be painful and there's going to be nothing that you can do but just endure it. And so I want you to write this down. This kind of affliction can only be patiently endured. Does everybody see that? And when I say that, what that means is that this is going to be very different than what the world will tell you to do. The world will tell you to visualize your way out of it. The world will say set goals to get yourself out of it. Some people in the world will say take massive action to get yourself out of it. But this is the type of affliction that because God is involved in it, when you're in it, there's nothing that you can do to get you out of it. The only thing that you can do is patiently endure it. So just a little uh, show of hands. Has anybody ever been in that situation before? Yes, I see that hand in the back. Thousands of hands are going up all over the auditorium. It's just going to happen the way that it's going to happen. And it's in that time that we patiently endure, allowing God to do whatever work he wants to do in us. Now, when we patiently endure, and Paul's been hurt by this church when you patiently endure, it means that you're not striking back at the ones who have harmed you. You're patiently enduring. Again, at some point in your Christian walk, you're going to come to a place where the Lord is going to allow you to walk through a thalipsis a tribulation that can only be patiently endured. And it's in that patient endurance that you find that you begin to really grow spiritually. And so we'll talk about that as we, as we travel through. It's so vital for maturity. Now, verse 5, also on your outline, if you, you find that, he says, for just as the sufferings, and then that Greek word there is pathema, of Christ are ours in abundance. And you underline that word abundance. Does everybody see that in that little paragraph? That's where you say Yes. Okay, now this is important for your, your spiritual understanding. <laughs> that word suffering there in the original language is pathema, which means something undergone. Like, you know, it's not a five minute thing, it's a hardship or pain, subjectively an emotion, an influence, affliction, suffering. And so I, I wanted to give you a Bible promise here today. And uh, there, that word abundance, He says, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Here's your Bible promise today. The sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Go ahead and write that down. Now, the good thing about that is that's one of those Bible promises that you don't have to put on a three-by-five card. You don't have to claim it. You don't have to pray for it. It just is. So uh, hopefully that just blesses your heart. And And if you don't believe that, look at what other places in the Bible, as it refers to this, it says there in your outline, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you have, what's that word? Tribulation, and that word is thelipsis. But take courage, I have overcome the world. And what that means is that you and I as believers are not immune to the, the painful experiences of this life. Uh, another way of saying this, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, indeed all everybody underline that word all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. And so the idea is that those sufferings of Christ, if you're a believer, that just comes with it, and they are yours in abundance. Anybody get excited about that promise? Yeah, me neither. Anybody experience that promise? That was weak. Very weak. Verse 4 again, he says, who comforts us in all our affliction. And where he says comforts, that word there is perikaleo. Does everybody see that word? Perikaleo. Now that word perikaleo in the original language, and uh, you'll have the word comfort, comforts, comforted, and it's all the same word. It's just a, a little bit of a difference in the tense, but it's the same word. And so it means there in your outline from Thayer's Bible dictionary, it means to call to one side, to come alongside, to console, to encourage, to strengthen by consolation, to comfort. And and so this comfort here is this coming alongside to give consolation, to, to, to strengthen us, and to give encouragement. So I want you to write this down. I wish there was a probably a pithier way to say it, but it's in the pain that God comes alongside. That's where you begin to experience him giving that. So without the affliction, without the philipsis in our life, that, that crushing, we, we never have any reason to ever experience God's comfort. God's comfort only comes when we're going through those difficult times. So here, that word is parakaleo. And uh, how many of you, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've ever heard the Holy Spirit uh, referred to as the Paraclete? Anybody here ever heard that? Some of you've been Christians for for you grew up, Baptist, Baptist, okay, yeah. So you, so you knew this, okay. So so all of us uh, former Baptists, we know this. But the, one of the things that you'll find in the in the uh, that the Holy Spirit is commonly referred to as the Paraclete. Same word, paracleo, just slightly different with the tense. As a matter of fact, some of the old Bibles, the Dewey Reams Bible, in John fourteen, Jesus is speaking, and he says, "I will ask the Father." and he shall give you another paraclete. And that word it just means comforter or, or helper that he might abide with you, that is to come alongside forever. So that's why if you've ever met a believer who's going through a very difficult time, the bottom has fallen out of their life, that you know, one, one member of the relationship has left, the finances have fallen apart, and, and you speak to them and, and you notice that in them there's this incredible peace in the most horrific time. The reason for that is it's in that time that the paraclete comes to give paracleo, which is the comfort. You only experience that in the difficult times. Does that make sense? Now I think on the, the back of your outline, uh, I'm going to read from the paragraph on the front of your outline or you can read from your Bible, but, but I, I, verse 4 again he says, who comforts Pericaleo us in all our affliction. There's that word thelipsis, And I want you to underline this little part here where he says, so that we will be able to comfort. So that we will be able to comfort. Then it says those who are in, and I want you to underline the word any, any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. So here's what this means. He says, God will come and comfort us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort others in any affliction. Now, here's what this means. You want to write this down. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. It doesn't mean that God sends the hurt, but he doesn't waste the hurt. The idea is that when you walk through it, he comes alongside of you. He promises to take that and to write that into your life story, and then that becomes part of what God wants to do. How how many how many people do we know who who at one point struggled with some type of addiction only to find out that later on they become addiction counselors because they walked through and now God uses them in the same way but whatever it is that you've walked through God says I want to use that in your life and and I could tell you my story and you could tell me your story but I can tell you that God has taken all all this stuff from my past. And he's used it now. And God's used me in ways that I never dreamed that he could, but I had to go through all of that. So God didn't send it, but he promises to use it. So he'll bring comfort and he'll use it. So here's what this means. Write this down. My misery today is my ministry tomorrow. My misery today is my ministry tomorrow. Misery is ministry training. We tend to think that seminary is is, is ministry training. The, the truth is, it's when you walk through the hard time and got, you allow God to come alongside of you, you patiently endure. He brings you his comfort. He does his work. And then he uses you to speak into the lives of others, to bring that comfort to other people. Does that make sense? So here's what this means. If you're here today and your marriage is unraveling, as you allow the Lord to work in your life, and you decide to patiently endure, then God's going to heal that. That's his desire. And he's going to use you to speak into the lives of other people who are going through a difficult time. If the the bottom has fallen out of your life financially, then God wants to use you later on to minister to people who are going through the same thing. Make sense? And so that's what he wants to do. So if you're wondering, why am I going through this? Well, here's why. You're in ministry training for what it is that God wants to do in your life. Just, just what he's doing. Years ago, you know the story, and I won't give you the, the big story, but the, the, the small part was that when my uh, in 1990 my dad went away to prison for 10 years to a federal prison. When he left, I, I became the custodian of my younger sister who was seven years old at that time, and so I was unemployed, unmarried, and uh, now I'm I'm a single parent. And you know, so so my, my whole world changed. But when I was hired at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, the first thing that they did was they put me in charge of the prison ministry. And God used all of that to have a very effective prison ministry. And here at Calvary, every year when when Prison Fellowship does their Angel Tree project, we as a church we we sponsor over three hundred children. Well, that comes from a very deep pain from way back when, and God's used all of that. So that's what He does. That's what He does. Well, we'll keep moving. Well, the, the next verse on your outline, verse 4, uh, you're on the back of your outline now. The next verse, it says, we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And I want you to underline that word, any, any affliction. Is that on the back of your outline? Is it on your outline? Okay, well, front, back, that's either, either way. I'm most glad it's there. So that's good. So here's what I want you to write down. God brought me through my particular pain so that I can help others in any affliction. Now, it's true that God tends to use what we've gone through in the same way to help somebody who's going through the same thing, but here's what the the Bible teaches, is that God carries us through a particular difficulty, and he uses that so we can minister to somebody in any affliction, in, in any affliction. Our world tends to say that you have to walk through the same exact thing before God can use you, and God says, no, a particular affliction, but I can use you to minister in any affliction. So this is the, the part that I wanted to come to, and uh, I think the part that we have the most difficult with, the most difficulty with, and uh, this this is the part that if you're going through a difficult time, and for believers at large, this is the part that they miss and when they miss this, they miss all that God wants to do in their difficulty. I and mean, if we were to say, did, did God know you were going to go through a particular difficulty? Every one of us would say, well, he, yes, in his foreknowledge, he knew. We'd say he didn't send it, but he knew about it. And, and this is the part that many times we miss in the difficulty and we miss the benefit. So there in your outline, verse 6, I put it there. He said, it is for your comfort, which is effective. Everybody see that word effective? And, and uh, you see that Greek word, there's energio, energio, in the patient enduring. Now we read that, we tend to kind of gloss over that. That Greek word, energio, does everybody see that Greek word, by the way? Okay. That Greek word, energio, is the Greek word from which we get our English word So you'll never get it wrong here. It's, it's energy, absolutely, it's energy or energizes energize so here's what this is saying and I want you to write this down god's comfort in my trial is energized when i decide to patiently endure let me read that little verse again it is for your comfort which is effective energio or energized in the patient enduring so god's comfort in my trial is energized when I decide to patiently endure. His comfort is not energized when I decide to lash out. His comfort is not energized when I decide to strike back. His comfort is energized in the life of the believer when the believer makes the conscious decision that I will patiently endure, trusting the Lord, to do whatever it is that he wants to do. Does that make sense? Which is why, again, which is why, again, you will meet a professing believer and a professing believer going through the most horrific of circumstances. And you say, them, how is it that you have so much peace? And they say, well, I've just come to the place where I'm just deciding to trust the Lord. When we make that decision, it's like flipping the switch. It energizes the comfort of God. God steps in. It doesn't make it easier. It just makes the peace come in. At the same time, we will meet other professing believers, and they're frantic, they're freaked out, and they're frustrated in their circumstance. That is a believer who has not come to the place where they've said, Lord, if you're calling me to walk through this, I will patiently endure. When we, we come to the place and we haven't made that decision where we say, Lord, I will patiently endure, we miss the benefit. We still have to go through it, but we missed the benefit. Does that make sense? And every one of us will be brought to that place where we're facing that situation, where we're going to have to make that decision. I'm going to trust, and I'm going to allow. And I remember where it was for me. It was back in 1992. My dad had been in prison for two years, Everything in my life had fallen apart. I have a child. I'm trying to feed, trying to take care of Everything was falling apart. And I was doing everything. Frantic, freaked out, mad at God. Not not, not that I've ever, uh, any of us have ever been there. I'm not going to share this second service. (laughs) But I remember coming to the place where I just said, you know what? I'm yours. So whatever it is that you decide to do in my life from this point on, I'm going to follow you. My circumstances didn't change, but I put myself in his hand, and I said, you do whatever it is that you want to do, and as best that I know how, I will faithfully follow you. And it's at that point that I can point to that God really began to do a work in my life. He brings every one of us to that place, and it's where many believers miss out on what it is that God wants to do. So I want you to write this this down, because there's one question when difficulty comes, and it will come, so it's not if, it's when. Here's the one question. Will I trust him? Will I trust him? You see, it's, it's when difficulty comes, and I have to make that decision, that's when I find out what I really believe. You see, if, if, I, if I say I really believe in a God who's in control, and I really believe that he's able to but when my back's against the wall, what comes out is that frantic, frustrated, freaked out response, attacking back at those who've harmed me, then that's what I really believe. So I have to come to that place. So I have to come to that place where I just say, Lord, I'm going to trust. So the question when it comes is, will I trust him? Will I trust him? Well, verse seven, did you find that at least interesting so far? And, and let, me, let, me, let me just say one thing that, that Our world says you go to seminary to grow spiritually. What we've just read says you trust God in difficulty, and that's your real training ground for ministry. That's your real training ground. Verse 7, he goes on, he says, and our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So the, the idea is what we go through is for your benefit and what you're going through is going to be for somebody else's benefit. You know, if you know, if you know that there's going to come a time in your life when as you follow the Lord, you're going to go through some very difficult times. If you know that, you're going to have a lot more grace on people who are currently going through it. So, so Paul, Paul articulates that. So how bad can this get? I mean, if you're Paul, how, how, how really bad was it for him? Well, let's pick it up in verse 8. Here's how bad it can get. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. There's that word again, the ellipsis, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively. How excessively? In my translation it says beyond our strength. Underline that however your Bible says it so that we despaired. And I want you to underline that word, despaired. Most major Bible translations that we have use the word despair there, despair to despair. Does your Bible say that? So, so, so just make note of that. That's kind of like the universal translation of that word. We despaired even of life, even of life. Verse 9. Indeed, we had the, and I want you to underline, sentence of death within ourselves so that, now underline this, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, in God who raises the dead. So how bad can it get? Well, notice verse 8, he says, "'For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our affliction, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life.'" So sometimes it can get so bad as you're walking through it. And write this down. And bad enough to lose hope in living. The idea here is that Paul really thought this was it. And uh, some of your translations will say far beyond our ability to endure. And I put that there in your outline if you have the NIV. And that word despair, and, and again that's universally translated in, in most of our Bible translations, that word despair, despair, to no longer have any hope or belief that a situation will improve or change, so Paul came to the place where it was so bad he didn't think he was going to make it, and he came to the place where he was thinking it's never going to change, and, and and some of us have been in that situation. So so he says we had the sentence of death within ourselves. When it says the sentence of death, that is uh, uh, an official report. It's as if Paul was in a place, and some Bible scholars hold that Paul had received, uh, being arrested or, or held in some way, where he had received a, a, an official de- death sentence. That's what, that's what it was. But then he says he had that within himself, so some suggest that he'd come to the place where he really believed, this is it, I'm over I'm going to die. This is the end of my ministry. It's never going to be fixed. Now the, the reason that I say that is I want you to write this down, is that even Paul, the apostle was not immune to discouragement. We, we tend to think of these guys as, as never getting down, never, never having those difficult times. But for Paul, he thought, this, this is it. So so far, we've found, found three reasons for difficult times, and, uh, and so I want you to write this down. Number one, we saw back in verses four and five to experience God's comfort. You can never experience God's comfort unless you go through a difficult time there's no need for comfort unless there's difficulty. The second reason that we we go through those difficult times is so that we can comfort others. Go ahead and write that down. We can comfort others. But then we come to verse nine and he says, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. And then he says, so that, and most of your Bibles will say, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And I want you to underline raises the dead if you haven't. So the third reason that we go through difficulty is to come to our end and learn to lean on God, to learn to lean on God. You know, Paul had come to the place where he realized that he couldn't trust in his ability to change his situation. And so this is very different than the world. When you're in the world, the world says, just believe in yourself. You ever heard that? Just believe in yourself. Have a little faith in yourself. Paul says it got so bad that he had to come to the place where he realized that there was nothing in himself that could fix the situation. Sometimes God allows us to go to the place where we realize there is nothing in us that can fix it. So we have to put our trust not in ourselves who can fix it, because we can't, but verse 9, notice he says, so that we would learn not to trust in ourselves, but in God, who what's it say? Raises the dead, raises the dead. Now, now, why is that so important? Uh, Paul says, I, "I came to the place where I realized I couldn't trust in me, so I would trust in the God who raises the dead." He doesn't say, "I trusted God that He would raise the dead." And wouldn't you say, you know, if, if uh, that's a dramatic transformation, you know, if you die and then you're not dead? That's pretty dramatic. That's a real turnaround, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we don't see that too often. That's quite the turnaround. So Paul doesn't come to the place where he says, I trusted God that he would turn it around. He says, I trusted God who I knew he could turn it around if he chose to. But Paul doesn't say, I'm choosing to believe that he will. He just says, I'm just trusting in the God who can turn it around. Does that make sense? So whether he turns it around or he doesn't, I know that he can, I'm trusting in him. So there in your outline, when it seemed hopeless, Paul learned patiently to patiently trust that God could dramatically change his situation. Go ahead and write that down. Verse 11, verse 11 he says, "'You also joining and helping us through your prayers, so that the thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf,' the favor bestowed through the prayers of, menis- uh, the prayers of many. I, I'd love to talk about this more, and hopefully we'll have the opportunity in the coming weeks. But just write this down, that Paul believed in, in that the, 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 there's power in the volume of prayer. When I say volume, I don't mean loudness. I mean just the, 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 the quantity of prayer. But we're going to talk about that hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So pretty bad for Paul. So as you're going through it, one of the things that Paul does is Paul stops and evaluates. Wouldn't you agree that sometimes we find ourselves in in situations, and if we really look close, we realize that we contributed something to the situation, that I I, I did something, and therefore I got myself into this mess. So Paul, as he evaluated his situation, he did three things. We'll close with these three, three, three things that are good for us all to evaluate. We're going to pick up in verse 12, and in verse 12 he says, For our proud confidence is this... The testimony of our conscience, underline conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have, and most of your Bibles will say conducted, underline that word, however your Bible says it, ourselves in the world and especially toward you, for we write, underline that, nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope that you will understand until the end. We'll pick this up here next week, but just very, very quickly. In the midst of it, Paul decided to evaluate to see if he did something to create the situation. So the first thing that he did, he says, I checked my conscience. And I had you underline that, verse 12. For our good confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. He says, in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but the grace of God. And then he says, the second thing, we conducted ourselves. Write that down. I checked my conduct. And then the third thing, verse 13, he says, for we write, and uh, go ahead and write down, I checked my communication. Did I miscommunicate something? Did I, did I say it in the wrong way? Paul says, no, I, I was pretty straightforward. We're going to pick it up there next week, but, but as we wrap up this today, my encouragement to each and every one of us is, first of all, just know that if you're a believer, there's going to come a time when the bottom is going to fall out. You're, you're going to face You're going to face that suffering, that difficulty. And he says, for the abundance of Christ, Christ's sufferings are in abundance, is what we have. It's in that time that we have to make a decision. Maybe you're here today and you're facing that. And maybe the the temptation is to lash out, to fight, to strike back. And maybe today what the Lord's telling you is, maybe for the first time in your life as you walk through this difficulty, to really trust in the God that you pre- that you profess to believe in and decide that Lord if you're calling me to patiently endure it then as your child I'm going to patiently endure and I will place my trust not in myself but in the God who raises the dead not that you're going to raise the dead dramatically turn around the situation If you do, great. But if you don't, I'm still trusting in you. It's when you come to that place that you energize his comfort in your life and his peace steps in. And it's in that time where maybe not everything in your world changes, but everything inside begins to change. And if that's you today, I want to pray for you. Know that there are some prayer partners. They'll be standing in front after the service. They would love to pray with you. But don't leave here today until you've come to that place where you've made that decision. I'm going to patiently endure and experience your comfort and allow you to do whatever it is that you want to do. Let's pray. Father, as we open this word, uh, as we open this book, this time, and Lord, how... Paul is combating the the views that it's all about success and winning and prosperity. and, And in his very first opening conversation, he talks about the sufferings, the difficulties that we face as believers. We pray today, that although we know that you're concerned about prosperity and blessing and all those great things, but you're concerned more about growing us deeply. And sometimes pain and suffering is part of that. So we commit to you, to allowing you to do whatever work it is that you want to do in our lives. Give us what we need to patiently endure and help us to experience your comfort. And keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.